So I had uh, dinner out last night, had some friends, and um, as happens with me, it got to about 9.30 and I said, look, I've got to go home and get to bed. And uh, the person I was with said, oh, you know, what time do you get up in the morning? And I said, well, tomorrow morning, big this morning, tomorrow morning I'll be getting up at six. I said, I'll be sleeping in. And they said to me, well, what time do you normally get up? And I said, well, I normally get up at 5 a.m. That's my during the week. Uh, I get up at 5 a.m. That's just kind of what is normal for me. I get up and I read my Bible and journal. I pray. I have some time to sort of look through my diary and my task list and sort of get everything in order. And then I get on my bike and go and exercise and, uh, you know, exercise, kind of do some weights. Obviously, I don't do weights like this because I lift much bigger weights than this, clearly. But... <laughs> But, you know, we all have a morning routine, don't we? Everyone, all of us, whether you're an early riser or not, we all have things that we do in the morning. For some people, it's a morning cup of coffee and, you know, a day hasn't started until there's a cup of coffee. Uh, for some people, it's exercise. It's whatever it is. So I wonder, what does your morning routine like? What are the things that are normal for you each day? You've got 30 seconds to turn to someone around you and to share with them what is your morning routine. Ready, set, go. We all have routines, don't we? We all have things that are normal for us and maybe you heard in someone else's life, they do things quite differently from you in the morning. Maybe they wake up at a quite different time or they, there are key things in their morning that are quite different. We all, have, we all have routines. We all have things that we do in our life that are completely normal for us. They're the way life works for us, but they might be quite different for other people. We're in the final week of a series that we're calling Best. We're asking ourselves, how can we live our best life in 2024? Because you said whether you've made New Year's resolutions, whether you've broken New Year's resolutions or not, there's one goal that we all have for 2024. We all want this to be a good year. In fact, we all want this to be a great year. If we're really honest, we'd all love to think that this would be our best year yet. And so in this series, we're asking ourselves, what can we do to make this our best year yet? You know, is it just blind luck, circumstances that happen to us, or are there things that we could do? Wouldn't it be great if there was a book that you could read or a, a, a YouTube video you could watch, you know, a podcast you could listen to? I mean, imagine if there was someone who knew with certainty how to make this year your best year yet. Jesus talked a lot about how to live your best life. Because sometimes we forget that Jesus was surrounded by regular people just like us. He spent his time talking to regular people just like us who had all of the same sorts of worries and stresses and concerns in their life. We've been reading Matthew 6, the end of Matthew 6 over this series where Jesus talks to those around him and he says, Matthew 6, 25, don't worry about your life. Verse 27, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And we've said right from the get-go, like no one ever worried themselves into a great year, did they? And then our key verse for this series, Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus says, seek first, instead of worrying, seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It's his way of saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the other stuff that you stress about will find a way to sort itself out. And we've been talking in this series about what it means to seek him first. We've been talking about centering our lives around God. We've talked about the difference between living a life that has God in it as one of many things, the difference between that kind of life and living a life that is centred on God, living a life that recognises that God is the centre of everything, that God is literally the centre of all life. Because you said when you live a life recognising that God is the centre of everything, you realise that you don't need to bring God into the other areas of your life. You don't need to walk away from church thinking, how can I get God into school with me? How can I take God into my workplace? How can I introduce God into my family? Because you recognise that God's already there. In fact, God was in these places before we were. We just need to seek him in those places and in those moments. Last week, we went a layer deeper in what it means to seek him because Jesus doesn't just say, seek him first. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so last week, we talked about what it means to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If you haven't heard that message, you can listen to it on YouTube. You can find it on your your favorite podcast app and catch up. We talked about the difference between seeing God's kingdom, the way that God wants to make the world, but between seeking God's kingdom and between a life that seeks our own kingdom, you know, that seeks the world to be the way that God wants it to be rather than the way that we want it to be. We talked about seeking his righteousness, saying that that we're called, that Jesus is talking about living a life that is doing the right things by God rather than living a life that's about doing the right things by me. When Jesus says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, he's saying that the path to your best life is to live life God's way and not to live life your way. And this week, I want to go another layer deeper and ask, well, how do we seek him? I mean, what does it actually look like? Because it's fine to say that we're going to seek God's first God first when we're in church. It's fine to talk about seeking his kingdom and his righteousness when we're together in this place. But we've all got to go home after this, right? I mean, tomorrow some of us have to go back to school and and to work. You know, this week there are all the, the normal things that happen in our week. We're getting together with family. We're having lunch with friends. We're playing sport. We're going to the movies. We're doing all of those things. How do we seek God daily in a life like that? What does it look like to seek him first in my normal everyday life? What do I actually have to do? Luke tells a story of a day that Jesus dropped in on some of his friends. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother, they lived in a small town of Bethany. It was a a tiny little town, only about two miles out of Jerusalem, sat right on the the outskirts. You could literally see Jerusalem from Bethany. Jesus lived a long way from Jerusalem, uh, several days 
walk from Jerusalem. And so when he would travel to Jerusalem, which he would do uh, several times a year for the, the kind of key holidays and big religious festivals, he would use Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house as his kind of base while he was in Jerusalem. And he would go to and from and often spend days in Jerusalem. This is the best we can tell from the text and the stories. And, and in the evenings and, uh, and, and sort of when he wasn't involved in Jerusalem, he would spend time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. One day he dropped in on them. It seems like he may have dropped in on them unannounced. And this is the way that Luke recounts the story. Luke 10, beginning verse 38. Martha opened her home to him, talking about Jesus. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, when Jesus drops in, he doesn't drop in alone. He's got his disciples with him, 12 of them at least, probably more. And so Mary and Martha and Lazarus have a lot of organisation to do to look after 12 or more people in their home. There was no Uber Eats that they could just dial up, right? And so Martha does what any kind of normal person, I guess, would do. She gets busy with the preparations, sorting out what they're going to eat, sorting out uh, what they're going to drink, I guess, where they're going to sit, all of that sort of stuff. But Mary isn't helping. Mary isn't helping in any way at all. In fact, uh, she's sitting at Jesus' feet in the front room just listening as close as she can to hear every word that he speaks. And so Martha, well, Martha is really a little bit like my kids when they're doing the dishes together. <laughs> dad, 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 you know, Mike is not helping with the dishes again. <laughs> Complaining like, you know, <clears throat> Ebony's gone to the toilet again when we're doing the dishes. She's not doing her share. No. <clears throat> Jesus responds, he says, Martha, Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things. It's his way of saying, you are stressing about a whole stack of things. But right in this moment, there aren't actually a whole lot of important. In fact, there's really only one important thing in this moment. And Mary has chosen that one most important thing. Luke includes this story in his biography of Jesus because he wants people to know that in this moment, the most valuable thing that people could be doing is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Luke wants people to know that because Jesus wanted people to know that. When John wrote his biography of Jesus, he remembers Jesus saying this, John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch 
that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, I've talked before when we read through the Bible about this strategy that Bible writers use of using repeated words to make a point. You picked up the repeated word in that story? Remain. Eight times, there's only eight verses there. Eight times in those eight verses, Jesus uses the word remain. Remain, 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 remain. John's point's simple. If you want to be fruitful... Remain in Jesus. If a branch is disconnected from a vine, literally imagine if you, you know, if you, you cut a branch off the apple tree, it's not going to bear any more apples. A branch cut off a vine doesn't bear any more grapes. And he's saying in the same way, a person that is disconnected from Jesus won't live a fruitful life. Can you see that Luke and John, very different stories, but they're making the same point. If you want to live your best life, if you want to live a life that is fruitful and positive, you need to stay connected to Jesus. If you want to live your best life, you need to stay connected to Jesus daily. Now, this isn't new to Jesus. God's people have always recognized from the beginning of time the value of being with God. The value of being with God regularly, the importance of staying connected to God daily. And from the very beginning of the story of God's people, there have always been two key ways that people have stayed connected to God, that people have seek when they've talked about seeking God first, there have always been two ways that people have sought to seek him first. Any guesses what they are? Bible reading and prayer. Probably lots of other things, but the two key ways that people have always sought God and sought to be with God daily are through Bible reading and prayer. That's it. It's not new, it's not complicated, it's not magic. Daily time in the Bible and daily prayer, daily communication with God has always been the path to seeking God daily. It's always been the path to a person's best life. And yet, to be perfectly honest, and we're going to be honest this morning, most of us still don't do it. Let's talk about that. Because Bible reading has always been the number one way that people have used to connect with God daily. 
And yet we've talked about Bible reading a number of times in this church and I've been doing this for a long time and I know that every time someone like me, like me talks about Bible reading, three things happen. There's a small number of people who will come up to me and say, that yes, I get it, it's fantastic, I totally do it, I understand what you're saying, I, 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 I live it, I do it every day, it's changed my life, I'm right with you. It's a small number of people. There are a larger number of people who will say to me or who will say to each other, yeah, I do it a bit, but this morning's reminded me I should do it more. And the truth is that most of those people will go home and absolutely nothing will change in their life. And then there's a larger, another larger number of people who will avoid the conversation after today altogether because they don't read the Bible and they've really got no plans to do it. I'm just being honest. And yet so many people wish, so many people wish that their faith was more alive. So many people wish that God was more real to them. So many people wish that they saw more of God doing stuff in their life, right? I can't tell you how many times people will ask me to pray for them, to pray for some sort of spiritual breakthrough in their life, to pray that God would be more real. People have come to me and said, I just feel stale. I feel kind of distant from God. It's, you know, it's just not happening for me. And when I ask them about their faith, they're honest and say, well, I don't read the Bible. They're not doing the number one thing most likely to make their faith come alive. This isn't just my opinion, right? Um, a number of years ago, uh, not that many, a few years ago, a couple of researchers did a major study into the Christian faith, into the lives of Christians. They interviewed in their study over 40,000 people, right? This wasn't just someone talking to Uncle Bob and a couple of friends down the pub. They did a major study, 40,000 people between the ages of 8 and 80 years of age. And they asked them all sorts of questions about their faith and about their life and about how the things connect. And what they were interested in this study, they were interested to work out what impact Bible reading had on someone's life. They didn't tell them that in the study. They just asked them a whole lot of different questions. Let me tell you what they found. They found that when a person reads the Bible once a week, it made absolutely no difference to their life whatsoever. Okay, so they took all the people, and they looked at the answers about life from all the people who said they don't read the Bible at all, and then they looked at the answers all about life from the people who read the Bible once a week, and they found no difference. They found that when people read the Bible twice a week, guess what happens? No difference. There's no difference between someone's life who reads the Bible not at all and someone's life who reads the Bible two days a week. When someone reads the Bible or listens to the Bible, reads the Bible or listens to the Bible three days a week, they noticed a tiny difference. 
a little blip. They could just start to see some of the numbers moving a little bit. It wasn't very much, probably not enough for anyone to notice in their life. But when a person read the Bible or listened to the Bible four times a week or more, everything changed. In a way that the researchers, I actually read the whole study because I do this sort of thing, the researchers could not believe. It shocked them. One day a week, nothing. Two days a week, nothing. Three days a week, a tiny blip. When someone reads the Bible four days a week, everything changed for them. I'm not going to read you all of the changes, but here are just some of the things that happens when a person reads the Bible or listens to the Bible four days a week. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60% in a person's life. Exactly what we are talking about before. Someone saying, I'm feeling stagnant, I'm feeling stale. That feeling drops, on average, 60% in someone's life when they read the Bible four days a week. Sharing your faith jumps, listen to this, 200%. We just did a whole series at the end of last year talking about sharing your faith because people said, I want to know how to share my faith more. I want to know how to share my faith more. Do you know what this study says? you know the best way to share your faith more? Is read the Bible. Just spontaneously. They didn't do anything else but people's, I don't know, kind of motivation, willingness, ability to share faith jumps 200%. People's discipling others. So that's when someone says, I'd really love my friends to follow, I, to, you know, to follow God more. I'd, I'd, really be, I'd really love to be able to help my children grow more in their faith. Someone's discipling others sort of behaviour jumps 230%. But it's not just about faith. Listen to this. Remember, this is across 40,000 people. Feeling lonely drops 30%. Anger issues drop by 32%. Bitterness in relationships. So when people said, you know, have you got bitterness in your relationships in life? Bitterness in relationship drops 40%. Reading the Bible four days a week. Bitterness in relationships, not in the church, but bitterness in any relationships drops 40%. If you can believe this, alcoholism drops 57%. Gambling drops 74%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. I can't tell you how many young men and boys that I've talked to over the years have said to me, I, 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 I don't want to tell a lot of people this, but I wish I watched less pornography. I wish I could get rid of that in my life. And these researchers are saying it's unbelievable. You read the Bible four days a week. Pornography use drops 61%. The researchers didn't really know what to do this with, with all of this and so they called it the power of four. Because there's, there's something about four days a week. There's just this thing that happens when someone reads or listens to the Bible four days a week. But yet here's the sad part, and you don't really need this study for this, but the study also found that only 30% of Christians read their Bibles 
four days a week. Most of us aren't doing that. Over half of the Christians in this study, this is the Christians, not over half the Christians in this study had said they'd never read the whole Bible. I'm not talking about reading the whole Bible every year, or, but just in their whole life, they said, no, nah, there are parts of the Bible I've never, ever read. I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty or whatever, but here's the point. If you want to seek him first in your life, if you want to live your life God's way, if you want to see his world become a reality in this world, if you want your Christian life to feel sort of alive and like it works and like it's happening, there is nothing you can do that is effective or is as powerful as reading the Bible four days a week. That's what this says. Nothing that is as effective as that. It's really as simple as that. Hand in hand with reading the Bible, for thousands of years has always gone prayer. And we've talked about prayer before and we'll talk about prayer again, but lots of people get really confused about prayer, right? They think they have to carve out 30 minutes a day and, you know, pray solid for 30 minutes, not do anything else. They have to sit and be completely quiet and talk in their head and and they just, I can't concentrate for that long, right? Start thinking about other things. They think in prayer they've got to memorise things or they, they have to say certain words or have to not say certain things. Friends, we've said this before, we'll say it again. Prayer is simply communicating with God. That's it. It is simply communicating with God about anything. Prayer isn't just asking for stuff. Prayer isn't just sitting down and saying, dear God, here's a list of things that I want in my life. Prayer can be saying, thank you. Prayer can be saying, I love you. You're awesome. Prayer can be saying, I'm sorry. Prayer can be not saying anything at all and just listening. Prayer can even be complaining and getting angry. Prayer is simply communicating with God regularly about anything. 2,000 years ago, Jesus told Martha that Mary chose the best option when she chose to just sit at his feet and listen to what he was talking about. Paul told the church in Colossians 4 to devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. And I could go on, the Bible is full of people encouraging others to pray more and to pray passionately and to pray continually. That advice hasn't changed for 2,000 years. You want to live your best life? Seek him daily. Seek him daily in the Bible. Seek him daily in prayer. Make it a part of your regular routine. Make it as normal for you as a cup of coffee in the morning or as your daily exercise. Now, I said before, I'm not saying this to shame anyone. I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty. And I've got to be honest, this is deeply personal for me because I want more than anything else for you guys to live your best year 
in 2024. I want nothing more than for you guys, for anyone I know, just to know God fully and to experience him fully and to experience the wonder of a life with God that just sort of hums, you know, that just works. And we're talking about this because this is simply the best way for that to happen. Does that make sense? And it's too important not to talk about. And it's so easy in churches and amongst Christian people not to talk about this, or at least not to talk about it as bluntly as I've talked about it today, because we don't want to offend anyone, you know. We don't want to put anyone out. We don't want anyone to kind of feel guilty or awkward because, you know, Matt's putting them on the spot and making them talk about Bible reading and prayer. But this isn't my idea, right? This isn't my sort of opinion of things. I'm not just talking to you about a a book that I read last week or a podcast I've listened to. This has been the story of God's people for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. In fact, it's probably true to say this has really been the only story of God's people as it goes to connecting with the God who created them. It's always been this way. There's no other story. This is the words of Jesus. Jesus talked about this sort of stuff all the time. The writers of the New Testament, Paul and Peter and James and Luke, talked about this stuff all the time. As we saw, modern day research backs this up. Finds the same things. What a surprise, 2,000 years later, fancy researchers interview 40,000 people and they find the same thing that people were talking about 2,000 years ago. You want life? Read this book. You want life? Pray continually. Seek him first, said Jesus. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek his way of doing life and of being in the world, not your own. Connect with Jesus daily. Part of your daily routine, as I said, like a cup of coffee and like morning exercise. Like reading the paper. Like picking up your phone and scrolling through Facebook and seeing what happened overnight. Connect with Jesus daily and quite simply the best way to connect with Jesus daily is through Bible reading and prayer. We're going to jump into small groups in a minute as we always do here. And again, since we're on the honesty trail this morning, I know that it's so easy to talk about how difficult this stuff is. I've done it myself. I get it, but I'm so busy. I'd love to pray, but I just find I can't concentrate. I'm just not a reader. I just don't understand the Bible. We've talked before about practical ways around all of these questions, all of these challenges, and they are real challenges. I get it. I've said every one of those things at different points in my life. We've talked about ways to read the Bible. We've talked about journaling as a way to you know, write things and track things down. We've talked about uh, using reading plans as ways to sort of take you through the Bible and there's lots of these things available free. We've talked about the value of reading with friends, you know, uh, reading and a friend reads and you, know, you, you, you text each other what you're reading as a way to keep you accountable and to share and to grow. 
We've talked about ways to pray. We've talked about using uh, prompts or things to help you sort of direct your prayer. We've, we've used that old act, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which means asking as a way just to kind of go, what am I going to talk about? Well, I can talk about some things under each one of those headings. We've talked about, talked about the opportunity of praying with people here. It's partly why we do the small group thing, so that we can share, but also so that we can pray together. We've talked about value of having a go and just practicing in prayer. We've talked about strategies of praying out loud. This is what I do at home, and my, that's partly why I get up early so I don't annoy my family, because I if I pray silently, my mind just goes a million different places. So I pray out loud. I just sit there and you know mumble quietly as a conversation to, well, I don't say to no one, to Jesus, but you know with no one in the room. It's the only way that I can keep myself focused in prayer. That's what works for me. But none of that, none of those questions, they're not really the real issue, are they? Because if they were, any of us could pick up a book on habits or, or you, know, you know, just Google kind of how to get a habit going. There are people out there who can tell you how to create a habit in your life. And as anyone, you, know, you know, anyone who exercises or anyone who can manage to make a cup of coffee every single day, we know how to make a habit in our life, right? It's not hard. In the end, these things happen because we really want them to happen. Honestly, that's as, that's as hard, you know, because we really, really want them to happen. Like any part of our daily routine. I want this stuff for you guys more than, more than anything, but I can't make this happen for you. This series is teaching us all what Jesus says is the path to us living our best life. But honestly, it's all just words in church unless we do something about it. And that's the choice for all of us, right? So as we kind of wrap up this series, if you want to live your best life in 2024, the path is clear. I think we've seen Jesus makes the path pretty clear. And now the choice is up to us as to whether we want to walk this or walk somewhere else. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace upon us. Thank you for your words, for your encouragement to those who stood around you 2,000 years ago. Thank you for the way that that lands for us and for the things we can learn about it. Thank you for your word that we've We've got words to read and to listen to, the words of life from you. Thank you for prayer, the opportunity to talk with you, to listen to you, to communicate with you on a daily basis. And Father, I pray for people sitting here now. I thank you for those people sitting here now who know I get this stuff, I do it, and it's life for me. And I pray for those of us who aren't quite there yet. We pray sometimes. We read a bit. We want to do more. There's a part of us that knows we should do more, but we're not doing it. And Lord, I pray that for those of us seeking to live our best life in 2024, that today might be a day where we draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? This is going to be a part of who I am. This is going to be a part of the way that I live, that I will live a life that seeks first 
That's my prayer over this church. And I pray it in Jesus' name.